Behind the Knife, the surgery podcast. Relevant and engaging content designed to help you dominate the day. It's great to be back on Behind the Knife. Today, Dr. Alvarado, Dr. Mukhtar, and I will be hosting our first Breast Surgical Oncology Journal Club. As a reminder, my name is Alexa Glenser. I'm an R4 general surgery resident at UCSF. Dr. Alvarado is a professor of breast and melanoma surgery, and Dr. Mukhtar is an associate professor of breast and general surgery, as well as one of our residency assistant program directors. We will be discussing the management of residual invasive breast cancer after neoadjuvant chemotherapy and surgery. We will specifically discuss the recent landmark CREATE-X and Catherine clinical trials. These trials are chemotherapy studies, but are important for surgeons to know about because they emphasize the order of therapy that may be recommended. As background, Dr. Mukhtar, can you tell us a little bit about neoadjuvant therapy and why surgeons should be informed about neoadjuvant approaches? Thanks so much, Alexa. I'm really excited to be back recording a podcast for BTK. This is a great topic and one that's really evolving. So for many years, we thought of neoadjuvant chemotherapy, which is chemotherapy that you give prior to surgery, as a way to improve breast conservation rates, but we didn't really think that it had much of an impact on recurrence rates or survival. For example, one of the early studies from the National Surgical Adjuvant Breast and Bowel Project, NSABP-B18, randomized women to neoadjuvant chemotherapy versus adjuvant chemotherapy with adriamycin and cytoxan. In this trial, they didn't find any difference in survival rates. However, those who received neoadjuvant chemotherapy did have significantly higher rates of successful breast conservation. So we often think that neoadjuvant chemotherapy is a way to downstage a tumor and improve surgical options and outcomes. But recently, we've seen another advantage to the neoadjuvant approach. By giving treatment before surgery, you have the chance to see whether or not a treatment worked and the tumor responded or not. Michael, can you tell us what a PCR means and why it's significant in breast cancer? Sure. Thanks, Rita. Thanks, Alexa. I'm glad to be back um, as well. So PCR stands for Pathologic Complete Response. This means that the neoadjuvant chemotherapy has eradicated all the invasive disease, which is determined at the time of surgical pathology. So we're really looking for the pathologic complete response. Patients who have a PCR typically have significantly better outcomes than those patients who don't, especially among those patients who have, for example, the triple negative breast cancer, ER, PR, and HER2 negative, or HER2 positive disease. So giving neoadjuvant chemotherapy can help with the prognostic aspects with regards to recurrence. Now, today's papers, spoiler alert, that we're going to discuss today also show that by using neoadjuvant chemotherapy, we may be able to identify patients that don't have a PCR, but still benefit from additional chemotherapy after surgery. Okay, great. So you're saying that there are patients who surgeons should definitely refer to medical oncology for neoadjuvant chemotherapy prior to surgery so that we can evaluate the response to therapy and alter the postoperative regimen? Exactly. Excellent. Okay, let's start with a clinical scenario before we get to our papers. 
Dr. Mukhtar, you are evaluating a 60-year-old woman in breast surgery clinic with ER negative, PR negative, HER2 negative, grade 3 right breast cancer with a KI67 of 60%. Her primary tumor is 3 centimeters in size on exam. She receives four cycles of neoadjuvant adriamycin and cytoxin followed by dose-dense taxol. She is then taken to the OR for a partial mastectomy and sentinel lymph node biopsy with surgical pathology demonstrating residual invasive cancer in the breast, 1.2 centimeters in size, and a negative sentinel lymph node. She has negative surgical margins. In addition to radiation, would she benefit from adjuvant chemotherapy? Thanks, Alexa. This is a patient who unfortunately had a poor response to neoadjuvant chemotherapy because there was residual invasive disease found on surgical pathology. Her recurrence risk is upwards of 30%, even with radiation. Until recently, we didn't have high-quality data to guide our decision-making with regards to adjuvant chemotherapy in this setting. But we now have data from the CREATE-X trial that addresses this question, particularly for patients like this who have triple negative disease. The CREATE-X trial was a multi-center, phase 3, randomized controlled trial conducted in Japan and South Korea between 2014 and 2015. In this trial, patients received neoadjuvant chemotherapy, and those who had residual invasive disease were enrolled into the trial. 887 patients were enrolled, and they were randomized in a one-to-one fashion to receive either adjuvant capecitabine, this is an oral drug related to 5-FU, or standard therapy. The primary endpoint of the trial was disease-free survival, defined as having no recurrence of invasive breast cancer in the breast or axilla, new breast cancer events, or distant recurrence. Secondary endpoints included overall survival and safety. And I remember reading that the two cohorts were well-matched by a number of factors, including age, BMI, menopausal status, tumor size at diagnosis, hormone receptor status, grade, the number of positive lymph nodes, and receipt of endocrine or radiation therapy. Notably, this was a relatively high-risk cohort with 40% of patients presenting with stage 3 disease and 30% of them triple negative. Dr. Alvarado, what did the CREATE-X investigators find, and how has it impacted your practice clinically? Yeah, thanks, Alexa. So CREATE-X showed that patients with residual invasive disease, either in the breast or the axilla, benefit from the adjuvant capecitabine given after surgery and after the neoadjuvant therapy. They experienced a significant improvement in disease-free survival at three years, 83 versus 74%, and also at five years, 74 versus 68%, compared to patients receiving standard therapy. They also had significantly improved overall survival at three years with 84 versus 89%, and at five years, with statistics showing 89 versus 84%. And again, this was a benefit in those taking the oral capecitabine. In subset analysis, this significant improvement in disease-free survival was seen in the triple negative cohort, the estrogen negative group, but not in the hormone receptor or estrogen positive cohort. These findings have really changed our practice for patients with triple negative breast cancer that have residual disease after neoadjuvant chemotherapy. So again, this would be those patients who do not achieve a complete pathologic response. 
These are the patients who will likely get Zolota postoperatively and hopefully have improved outcomes. And the important aspect when we talk about neoadjuvant therapy is that in this neoadjuvant approach, if we hadn't done this, we would not have known whether they would need this extra chemotherapy. So the neoadjuvant approach really gives us information about pathologic response and who will be at higher risk and need this additional therapy. Alexa, were there any safety concerns with patients receiving adjuvant capecitabine? So capecitabine is an oral prodrug of fluorouracil. It's well known to cause hand and foot syndrome, which is characterized by erythema and pain of the palms of the hands and soles of the feet. While 73% of patients on the CREATE-X trial developed hand-foot syndrome, 89% of them had only a grade 1 or grade 2 presentation. 80% of patients randomized to receive capecitabine in the trial received the full planned 6 to 8 cycles. Dr. Mukhtar, were there any notable criticisms of the CREATE-X trial that would limit applicability of its results? I'm not really aware of any um, notable criticisms of the trial, but uh, like with all trials, I think that it can be hard to integrate findings with um, the current standard of care, which is often evolving. So one example is um, the use of immunotherapy. So there's a very recent trial um, and approval of the use of pembrolizumab in the neoadjuvant and adjuvant setting for triple negative breast cancer. Um, this wasn't available at the time of the CREATE-X trial, and hopefully with the addition of pembrolizumab, we'll see improved rates of pathologic complete response and, and fewer patients will need to do the adjuvant Zolota. But I do think that it raises the question of um, combining toxicity of multiple treatments when you have patients who don't have a PCR who might end up getting both uh, cytotoxic chemotherapy and immunotherapy in the adjuvant setting after having already done a neoadjuvant course before surgery. I do think, however, that a really important takeaway from this is that if you see a patient with triple negative breast cancer, in most cases, that's not going to be a scenario where going to surgery first is the best option. Okay, great. Now let's change focus to discuss the Catherine trial, which evaluated a similar question regarding the role of adjuvant chemotherapy in patients who received neoadjuvant therapy and had evidence of residual invasive cancer in the breast or axilla. The difference is that Catherine specifically addressed this question for HER2-positive patients. Dr. Alvarado, what is the current standard of care for HER2-positive patients with residual invasive disease after receiving neoadjuvant chemotherapy that incorporates trastuzumab or Herceptin? Yeah, thanks, Alexa. So in these patients, the standard of care is adjuvant trastuzumab, Herceptin, and possibly pertuzumab, another monoclonal antibody and targeted therapy for HER2 disease. And these are given for an additional 12 months after surgery. The Catherine trial compared adjuvant trastuzumab to another drug called TDM1. Now this is an interesting type of drug uh, that has an antibody drug conjugate where the, cyto the cytotoxic drug is coupled with an antibody against the HER2 receptor. Now this allows the cytotoxic drug to be delivered specifically to the HER2 overexpressing cells. In TDM1, it's a conjugate of trastuzumab and the cytotoxic drug emtensine, a microtubule inhibitor. This drug has been found to be too toxic to give as a monotherapy, but in conjunction with trastuzumab, when you use the monoclonal antibody 
part of it as a way to deliver it specifically to the targeted HER2 overexpressing neoplastic cells, you don't have to worry about that significant cytotoxicity associated with the DM1 by itself. TDM1 is currently FDA approved for use in the metastatic breast cancer setting. And Catherine was designed to determine if there is a role for using this TDM drug in more early stage setting with residual disease after neoadrenaline ther- therapy incorporating the trastuzumab. Alexa, can you tell us a little bit more about the study design? Yes, of course. Catherine enrolled nearly 1,500 patients from 2013 to 2015. Patients had all received at least six cycles or 16 weeks of taxane-based neoadjuvant chemotherapy with trastuzumab. Of note, receipt of a second HER2-targeted therapy in addition to trastuzumab was allowed. The vast majority of patients who received a second agent, it was uh, Perjeda. Eligible patients were randomized in a one-to-one fashion to receive either adjuvant TDM1 or trastuzumab. Randomization was stratified by clinical stage at presentation, hormone receptor status, additional HER2-targeted therapy, and pathologic nodal status evaluated after neoadjuvant therapy. Concomitant radiation and endocrine therapy were allowed. The primary endpoint was invasive disease-free survival, which was defined in the same way as it was for CREATE-X. Secondary endpoints included overall survival and safety. Dr. Mukhtar, what have we learned from Catherine? So the Catherine trial was a positive trial, uh, just like the CREATE-X trial showed a significant improvement in outcomes for patients with triple negative breast cancer who had residual disease and got adjuvant capecitabine. The Catherine trial showed similar findings for her two positive patients who had residual disease after neoadjuvant therapy and received adjuvant TDM1. With a median follow-up of 3.5 years, disease-free survival was significantly improved in the TDM1 group compared to the trastuzumab group. It was 88% versus 77% being uh, free of disease at three years. And this improvement was also seen uh, in terms of distant recurrence risk. Um, 90% of patients who got TDM1 were free of distant recurrence at three years versus only 83% in those who got trastuzumab. This is a pretty big difference. There was a trend towards improved overall survival in the TDM1 group, although it wasn't statistically significant. However, the authors were able to conclude that the risk of invasive breast cancer recurrence or death is 50% lower in patients who receive TDM1 instead of trastuzumab if they didn't have a pathologic complete response after neoadjuvant therapy. This benefit of TDM1 was consistently seen across all the pre-specified subgroups that they analyzed. There were some side effects, including thrombocytopenia and transaminitis, but these adverse events in the TDM1 group were largely grade 1 events. That's all very impressive. Dr. Alvarado, how have the results of Catherine impacted your clinical practice or the practice at our institution? Yeah, so absolutely. These these data are extremely, extremely positive. And it's true, our medical oncologists definitely give adjuvant TDM1 for patients with HER2-positive breast cancer who don't achieve a complete pathologic response after neoadjuvant therapy. And this has been very helpful for those patients. Now, this was an escalation trial, and one consideration 
is the fact that there are some data for de-escalation for HER2-positive breast cancers. When we start looking at smaller HER2-positive tumors, for example, less than 2 centimeters, and those that might have a little bit better prognosis with estrogen positivity and grade 2, there may be a possibility for de-escalation with less chemotherapies. Now, that makes it obviously a little bit difficult when you think about neoadjuvant chemotherapy or not, and it really stresses the importance of getting the patient in to see medical oncology as well and thinking about this in a multidisciplinary fashion so that we get the higher-risk HER2-positive breast cancer patients to go to neoadjuvant therapy to look at response to therapy and whether or not they might need the TDM1, which was shown in the Catherine trial, or possibly if they're a lower-risk HER2-positive patient, they may go straight to surgery and do a de-escalated form of a taxol-based chemotherapy with Herceptin alone. So these are very important aspects of the multidisciplinary approach to HER2-positive breast cancer. I totally agree with that approach. Well, thank you so much for your time, Dr. Alvarado and Dr. Mukhtar. Our discussion is summarized in the BTK show notes with links to the landmark New England Journal articles that announced results from CreateX and Catherine. And to everyone listening out there today, dominate Dominate the the day. day. Be sure to check out our website at www.behindthenife.org for more great content. You can also follow us on Twitter at Behind the Knife and Instagram at Behind the Knife Podcast. If you like what you hear, please take a minute to leave us a review. Content produced by Behind the Knife is intended for health professionals and is for educational purposes only. We do not diagnose, treat, or offer patient-specific advice. Thank you for listening. Until next time, dominate the day. Dominate the day.